Welcome to the New Money Review podcast, the future of money in 30 minutes. I'm Paul Amory, the editor of New Money Review. I set up New Money Review in 2018 to cover the changes in money, which are getting faster, more chaotic and more confusing. New types of money arrive out of nowhere, like Bitcoin. Cryptocurrencies are incredibly volatile. Some are scams. But are others true stores of value? Could the technology behind cryptocurrencies, called blockchain, herald the biggest changes in accounting for five centuries and a new era of transparency in doing business. Payments get faster, cheaper and digital, but cash is still there and in demand, especially amongst criminals. And where does all this leave our traditional money, our dollars, pounds, euros and yen? Our podcast takes a big picture look at all these trends and at their impact on society. It's not just money that's changing, but technology, finance, law, government and culture with it. Each week we interview a leading expert on one or more of these topics. By listening to the podcast you can stay up to date with what's going on in money and prepare yourself for what lies ahead. If you enjoy this new money review podcast please like it and share it with your friends and network. Your recommendations make a big difference to us. My guest on this episode of the podcast is John Kiff who's just retired after a career as a senior financial sector expert at the International Monetary Fund IMF, where he focused on fintech issues, over-the-counter derivatives, and pension risk transfer markets. Before working at the IMF, John was an employee at the Bank of Canada, Canada's central bank, for a quarter of a century, where he spent most of his time managing the funding and investment of the Canadian government's foreign exchange reserves. John, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you please start by telling listeners a bit about yourself and your area of work? Sure. Thanks, Paul. I've worked for the International Monetary Fund for about 15 years, um, and in that regard, I just, uh, in fact, retired um, last week. Um, And and prior to that, I worked for 25 years at the Bank of Canada, and I've always characterized my work as being in the area of funky finance. That's kind of the the umbrella term for it. So before fintech, I was the guy at the Bank of Canada and the IMF that that, – my topic area was things like OTC, over-the-counter derivatives and securitization, all the kind of stuff that's kind of edgy. But that was getting kind of boring um, after the after the the crisis of 2007-8 and things were all fixed up, supposedly. And, and then along comes fintech, and that's become a new passion of mine. And uh, more specifically, a digital currency, central bank digital currency is a big um, focus for me at the in my last years of the IMF and now going forward in whatever shape or form that might take. Yeah, thank you very much. And I, I, I read your daily roundup of uh, fintech news and a, and a monthly uh, uh, newsletter that you send out with with great interest. It's a, it's a you know it's an excellent uh, summary of what's going on in across the fintech uh, and digital asset space. Um, I wanted to ask you about a bit about your background before we talk about those uh, newer areas. You, at, at the Bank of Canada, you were, I think, responsible for investing the bank's reserve assets. So that's kind of the other end of the spectrum from, um, let's say, a digital asset like like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, probably you, you have very conservative risk parameters. What, what you know, how did you go from that end of the spectrum to, you know, let's say this riskier area of the markets? Well, I think. I think the root of it is that I've often had a nickname, my, my pen name that I use on, in public is Kiffmeister. That's how you'll find me on the web. But, yeah. but also I've been called the plumber because my interest is often in, in, the, in how things work, the mechanics of it. So in the, in the context of derivatives and so on, I was interested in actually how you 
do transactions, how you price them, how you manage the risk of them. So we did a lot of swap business at the uh, the Bank of Canada, and that uh, so that and that that's kind of my interest in the in the fintech space too. Um, I focus very much on, for instance, in the world of central bank digital currency. I focus very much on how central banks are implemented and what design features they are they are they playing around with. That's that's kind of my where my interest lies, and that's what kind of connects all of these different facets of my career together. Okay, so so from the let's go back to the two thousand and eight financial crisis, which which was uh, I, I guess in some ways a, a, um, you know people in the, were were shocked by how much credit exposure different institutions had to each other behind the scenes that were, it was, these exposures were not visible um, to the larger market. And then when people realized that there were lots of bad debts there, they started to panic. You know, to what extent have we, you mentioned earlier on that we've seen you know, some of those things were fixed uh, subsequently, but to what extent has the move uh, towards digital assets and, and blockchain cryptocurrency been you know, part of that same trend, uh, you know, addressing some of the plumbing problems that I guess we can call them in the markets? Yeah, there's a lot of interest in connections between the way we thought about things back in 2008 and the way we think about things now. And I'll start with 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 the, one of the other facets of the work I do, which is financial stability analysis. And that's how I actually came to the IMF. I joined the, the financial stability uh, group at the fund. And one of our jobs was to actually um, try to, to look for signs of, of um of things that might implode or explode the the global financial sector, mm. and and those are always t- that's always tough because these the things that things that can blow up in your face are often unseen. In the case of the two thousand eight crisis, it was a, a, some very very funky derivatives and securities transactions um, that were very very they're very opaque. And, and so I can recall back in two thousand seven or so, I think it was. I mean, I I wrote a paper where I actually said the subprime crisis. Um, but there's a, there's a potential for a blow up in, this, in the U.S. subprime market, but not to worry. It's it's a contained contained explosion. Well, it wasn't because we didn't see all of the different connections under the surface. So I wear a, a new hat now, which is the fintech hat, and we so we, we we try to look for the same things. I think we missed too much back in 2007, and I. I I just almost like I'm trying to atone for past sin, sins now, and uh, and I'll look for those hidden connections in this market. So you typically what we'd be looking for is the involvement of, of of big banks and so on in crypto asset markets. That's something that we do focus on a lot. So that's kind of a to me that's how it kind of what connects my two careers together. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in um, what you say when it comes to cryptocurrency. Um, uh, over the last year or two, we've seen uh, the rise of some, um, you know, lending products that are related to cryptocurrency. Either places where you can deposit your cryptocurrency, places where you can borrow against cryptocurrency collateral. Uh, these are things which didn't previously exist, and I mean they're, they're familiar to us from the existing financial system. But to, to what extent do those uh, new activities give rise to concern when? You know, clearly, in cryptocurrency, there's no lender of last resort. There's no central bank to bail people out if things go go wrong. You know, are, are we in danger of repeating some of the mistakes we've seen previously in traditional finance? Yeah, I think you're speaking of decentralized finance or DeFi. That's that. I mean, that's definitely a concern to the financial stability and regulatory authorities to the extent that 
Um, they're, they're, they're purposely designed, in fact, to operate outside the, the regulatory sphere that uh, would contain normal um, activities and so on. Yeah. And, but again, the concern, where my global financial stability hat, the concern, they, the DeFi markets aren't that concerning in that um, they're not so far not being the, the major players, the Morgan Stanleys, the, the Goldman Sachs of the world don't seem to be playing in those markets yet. Um, yeah. That's what we look for, that when they get involved and, and perhaps um, take advantage of leverage opportunities there that to, might put them in danger if something goes off the rails. So that to me, that's kind of a niche right now. But again, the, the using the, the kind of language that we would use the Financial Stability Board, which is another group that I was heavily involved in in their crypto asset monitoring activities. Um, you know, they're not a current, currently a systemic concern, but they bear watching. So that surveillance is everything. Okay. Which is kind of why... You so see it's early in the day. day. But that's kind of why I, I'm so interested in my daily updates. So for me, those daily updates I put on my website and the monthly are kind of a discipline for me to, to, be, to be plugged in and, and hopefully not miss the next, yeah. uh, the next uh, trigger. Yeah. Um, let's turn to the concept of uh, programmable money. Um, you know, why is programmable money such a, a you know, we're obviously, um, that's part of the, uh, one of the descriptions of central bank digital currency and also of, of, of crypto uh, asset tokens that you can, you can tie uh, functions to the, to the token itself uh, by programming. What, to what extent is this a, is this a big deal for, you know, for, for money as a whole? Yeah, we wrote a paper uh, that was published um, last year on central bank digital currency um, experience. So the, what, what central banks are looking at, the design features and so on. And we, we actually had a part in there we, we focused on programmable money. And we got, we got some internal pushback on, on that because um, some were thought that uh, we, we shouldn't be pushing that, that concept um, because smart contracts are kind of like potential doomsday machines for a central bank digital currency. But but there are if you can contain that risk, I think there are some useful things you can you can pull out of a, a smart contract in a central bank digital currency. Um, we've seen, um, for instance, some there's some ideas floated whereby for stimulus payments, let's say you distribute stimulus payments with smart contracts in them that direct the the users to only to 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 spend that money at certain places. They can't you can't take the stimulus payment. And go off and park it in your bank account or buy crypto assets. You know, it's got to go to yeah. something that will actually stimulate the economy. Also, you might be able to use smart contracts to interact with internet, the Internet of Things. That's a possibility too. And or even even play the idea of placing restrictions on other kinds of restrict, restrictions, like money that might go to children can't be used to buy cigarettes and booze or something like that. So I, it's something to, worth exploring, but it's. It's fraught with danger because it is a code that's embedded in that money that's circulating through the whole economy. And the crypto risk aspects of it are kind of awesome. Yeah. I'm interested in the the possibility of using um, programmable money to enforce negative interest rates, which is what you're uh, talking about, I think, that, you know, the idea that you, if you don't spend your money soon, it'll depreciate in value. And, and this has been tried in, uh, in the past, hasn't it, in, in certain parts of the world and actually, as far as I can see, met with some success. But it's also 
are very much a red flag to the bulls who uh, who say that this is going to destroy the value of savings. So is this something we're going to be hearing a lot more about in the, in the coming years? Well, I think you're speaking of what they call Jessel money, right? And uh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's definitely something that we, we noted in that paper. And I think it that might, that does have some interest in um, interest in applications in the context of stimulus payments and so on. But but interest rate or remunerated CBDC can go beyond that. Of course, you could have a remunerated CBDC, central bank digital currency, that has positive interest rates. You might want to have positive rates. You might even want to align them with the, the policy rates of the central bank, so they become kind of an um, a tool that enhances the implementation of monetary policy. But so far, no central banks that I know of are, are talking openly about the idea of introducing a CBTC that's remunerated in any way. They go out of their way, in fact, to say no, no remuneration, no negative or positive rates. So we want to be to mirror cash as much as possible. But most are leaving in the possibility that you could have remunerated CBTC, and I think that's a good idea because another application for that remuneration is a way of of calibrating the demand. There's, if, if maybe runaway demand and we have, if you have runaway demand for CBDC, where's that demand coming from? It might be switching out of commercial banks. So you create a disintermediation problem. So you might want to have the option in that case of, of calibrating that rate, you know, bring that rate down to make it less attractive. And then the EC, ECB has floated this idea of tiered remuneration where um, you have a reasonable rate for small holdings, but then for larger holdings, it's a it's a much lower rate to discourage that uh, that flight from commercial banks. Yeah, what are, what are the motivations for uh, issuing CBDC f- um, when it comes to developing economies compared to developed economies? Yeah, there's quite different actually. Most developing economies are are looking at CBDC to save money. They they're hoping that they can reduce the amount of cash in circulation, which for because of economies of scale of producing fiscal cash, it can be very expensive for some of these developing, especially small countries. For island countries, there's the the risks involved in transporting fiscal cash to remote places where there may not even be ATMs there. So, and also they're looking at, um, and then that kind of goes hand in hand with the financial inclusion aspect and financial inclusion to the extent that perhaps you have remote areas that uh, are very hard to send cash out to that you can reach out to those um, those further reaches and then of course they're also looking at pushing the digitalization of their economy perhaps the banks are a bit slow-footed in offering um, um, residents um, digital payment means that we all take for granted in the advanced economies so they're hoping to perhaps um, jump start that to some extent yeah the other, the uh, other uh, thing uh, you will hear is pushing back on the introduction of private digital currencies and that's usually code word for dm or what was called libra before that uh, they're they're hoping to maybe offer up a digital payment option yeah. that will let, discourage people from um from running into those other uh, options yes um i mean you 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 pointed out that um the facebook's attempts to launch its own money were you know met with quite uh Robust resistance from governments and central banks. At the same time, we have you know these. I guess we could call them black market versions of the dollar, like Tether, uh, circulating, which are kind of still growing and growing dramatically. I, I saw today that they've doubled their assets again from from the beginning of the year, and it's nearly fifty billion dollars. Do you think those those kind of less regulated or unregulated segments of the market will eventually 
disappear or are they, are they, are they still going to exist side by side with um, I mean, it surprises me that the regulators haven't done more to to crack down on that but maybe they maybe they can't it's possible there's a there's a there's a can't angle to that but also so far um, these unregulated stable coins like tether and USDC the circle coin somewhat semi-regulated let's say but w- what we're seeing the, the use cases for those seem to be more for in inter-exchange um, inter-platform um, um, flows and because a lo- so, so many platforms don't have they don't have links to the traditional banking system for instance in, in the US I can I can operate through coinbase and I can actually attach my my fiat currency bank account to it so I don't need a tether but if you're trying to operate with the, with Binance, let's say, which hasn't got those options, you need some kind of you need some kind of um, currency to be able to flow money into into Binance, and that tends to be you know, Tether's the big one there. But we do also know that, particularly in Asia, Tether's being used for bypassing capital and exchange controls. So that's yeah. that's kind of a concern for those countries. But the size of this thing is still not this this size of the the DM, which is that that's just orders of magnitude bigger than tether is right now and that's why i think the yeah. focus is on on dm it's just you know boom overnight you've got something that's that's in everybody's iphone or android phone it's it's, it's on their yeah. uh, messenger apps and so on that's that's what scares i think the uh, the authorities mostly about the dm versus the tether yeah um w- one thing i noticed about uh, imf um is that um your previous employer was that they seem to have a more open-minded approach to uh, blockchain, digital assets, the development of these areas than, let's say, some individual national central banks or maybe the the BIS, which had a Bank for International Settlements, had a quite an anti-crypto uh, tone in their statements from you know from the beginning, and they still were pretty pretty skeptical. Was there any reason for the like, maybe more even-handed approach from the IMF? Was it a difference in? And just in the institutional view of things, or was there something else behind it? Yeah, it's a good question. I in I never I, in my time there. I never since the introduction of Bitcoin back in two thousand eight. It's it, we've I, we've always had this open mind towards it. That's perhaps because we're interested in anything that might ultimately lead to a, a smoother plumbing in the in in the international world of um, money essentially so um we don't want to reject anything out of out of hand i think maybe you know i think i think the the sort of visible visible part of our our interest in crypto and maybe our less or more i wouldn't like to say supported but less antagonistic view towards uh, crypto would go back to our previous managing director christine lagarde who's you know she supplies us with all the great quotes about uh, not throwing the baby out with the bath water and 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 also um, this this concept that uh, using fire to fire fire essentially. So you know why instead instead yeah. of it rejecting and fighting fighting the trend, work with it instead. So I think that's our our view of, of trying to work towards enhancing the good aspects while while diminishing and mitigating the the risks and the the, the things that aren't so aren't so positive about crypto assets. Yeah, what, what do you what do you make of the you know the 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 current boom in 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 this area? You know the the, the, the rise in cryptocurrency prices, the rise in valuations of payments and and fintech um, uh, firms. And what you know, while the bank the share prices of some of the banks is, have, have been lagging substantially, 
you know, is this a major shift in power in, in the financial markets? And, and what does it mean for the way things are going to operate in future? It's hard to say because when I started watching fintech, uh, the Bitcoin was just a small, very small corner of my of what, what we were looking. We were looking at peer to peer lending, and so the talk then was that peer to peer lenders were going to rise up and 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 basically eat the lunches of all the the big banks and so on. And then, but then what happened is the big banks um, essentially embraced it. So peer to peer lending became marketplace lending, and the next thing you know, the the, the Morgan Stanleys of the world are securitizing. Um, the the loans that are being picked up in the marketplace lending, so it, it becomes embraced. I, I just wonder if that that's where we're headed. For instance, we see um, big firms like PayPal and Visa um, are uh, seem to be very much embracing crypto rather than fighting it. They're saying we'll 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 work with it. Mastercard's the same. So I suspect that's where we're headed. That will be that that there'll be a, a meeting of minds. In the end, here, but um, you know, who knows what the future structure of the financial sector will look like? Because you know, it could, it could be that that um, the crypto and so on, the blockchain, um, dramatically change the, the sort of plumbing of the, the the financial system. I wanted to ask you about that. The the it seems as though one of the the um, impacts of blockchain has been uh, you know a, a, a really um, I mean clearly there's a the, the ability to settle payments across border within a, you know, within a few minutes or an hour or two in the case of Bitcoin is still a substantial improvement on, on doing it through the conventional bank, banking system uh, time-wise. And, and, and there also seems to be quite a dramatic effect of, of blockchain on, on, um, on security settlement. There's an increasing push to shorten settlement times. I just, you know, I just wondered if you could expand a bit on how you see the, the, the plumbing of the system changing and where you think the, the main opportunities and, and also the main risks are in what's going in what's going on. Yeah, definitely. I think blockchain and distributed ledger technology um, can play a big role in 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 lubricating the the settlement payments and settlement system. I, I think back to the the debacle with the uh, um, GameStop and 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 the. And, and it turns out that you know some of the issues that that rose there were 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 because we have this T plus two settlement and and uh, Robinhood, which yeah. seemed to be instigate big big um, implicated in a big way in some of the things that happened around that that episode. Um, they had to ante up huge amounts of margin they didn't actually have to cover up the risks, the settlement risk yeah. of this T plus two. Um, I mean, I think blockchain technology could tend to, could potentially reduce T plus two to instantaneous, I think. Because, so all these liquidity problems disappear. And But the key there is, is, a, is a two-part thing. You, you need to get the payment rails operating on blockchain, but that alone wouldn't solve the problem. You need to get the settlement rails there too. So that means you have to have, you yeah. need to tokenize securities to do that. So that's, you know, that, that sort of operations being experimented with the BIS has an innovation hub where they're, they're 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 doing some experiments with the idea of uh, a blockchain settlement of tokenized um, assets, tokenized securities. So I think I think there's a bright future there. But that that would be a, a very uh, dramatic change from the way securities markets and derivatives markets currently function, as we've seen with another recent case, the you know the Archegos uh, hedge fund or family office meltdown, where it turned out they had lots of. Uh, uh, exposure to U.S. Uh, and, and global shares through derivatives contracts that weren't um, 
kind of publicly known. They were known individually to each prime broker, but that they turned out to have much bigger exposure than than people had realized in, in aggregate. And so, you know, all this kind of trading would be would basically have to disappear if, if we went into uh, synchronized you know, pay, payment settlement of payment tokens versus tokens representing the underlying assets, wouldn't it? That would be a very substantial power shift in the way markets operate. Definitely. You know, so I think I think there's a lot of positives to be taken from from those two two stories. I think that uh, and so yeah. you know, it, it's a major shift. Obviously, uh, tokenizing tokenizing the whole, the whole global securities markets no no trivial matter. And I think that tokenization is essential in order to make the the blockchain rails work better. Because I think there's lots of experiments that have been done with just doing the blockchain settle this the 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 settlement of the payment side of it the project jasper in canada um that was run by the yeah. the bank of canada that uh, had a successful experience with that they had a less successful experience with just doing the just looking at the payment system alone but when you when you bring payment and settlements under the same framework and and put it all in the blockchain yeah. um i think there's uh, there's some gains gains to be made there in, in terms of efficiency and safety yeah, uh, and what about the residual risks? Are, are, you know, are we putting too much? Um, uh, you know, are we in the relying in the current environment too much on individual, you know, fintech firms or cryptocurrency exchanges that are experimenting this area? You know, could there be a, a loss of confidence if something goes wrong at one of these places? Well, I think that also speaks to where this goes in the regulatory sphere. Right now, many of these firms operate outside the regulatory sphere, so I think the challenge for the authorities, the global financial regulators and so on is, is, is finding ways to um, bring, bring, bring everybody into the same um, umbrella. So like they say, same, same risks, same regulations. I think that's what we're aiming for. I think some, some regulators are further ahead than others. I think like FINMA in Switzerland seems to be one that uh, seems to be sort of on the ball on that side. Uh, and, and what other uh, areas of fintech and digital assets are currently uh, top of your mind? What are you what are you focusing on in your updates? What are you looking at most closely? Yeah, and, I mean, crypto assets obviously take up a lot of my focus, and and, and central bank digital currency is a big deal. You know, I, I I still have a soft spot for the the, the idea of peer to peer lending, but you know, perhaps the DeFi will will take that over. So DeFi is kind of on my on my radar screen. Now is something I need to do a, a deeper dive into. Uh, I, I'm not yet. I haven't yet caught caught the the NFT fever yet. The non fungible token thing. <laughs> I have still have not seen anybody explain to me what what is what. I mean, te- technologically, I know what's happening, but why? What am I getting? People tell me it's a you're buying bragging rights. Well, someone paid sixty nine million dollars for bragging rights, but I just don't get it uh, no one's explained that to me but you know i keep an eye on it uh, but i if anybody watching my daily updates will notice that i've never i've said nothing at all but i just don't i'm not ready to touch that one yet because i don't understand it and i don't want anybody to think that i do i'm completely with you there i i, I when when that all kind of burst into the news a couple of months ago i i i thought this is officially the point at which i feel too old to write about this stuff it's just uh it's it's beyond me why people are spending this amount of Money apparently on, uh, as you say, bragging rights. Yeah, but but they, you know, they appear to be doing so. Yeah. So other than that, I mean, I, I, that's why I like the, I like doing my daily updates because it is, it does, does, uh, it gives me that discipline to be on the lookout for everything, and it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, 
So I don't know. The next, if we were talking in a month from now, there might be something new that's come along that's quite interesting. Remember ICO's initial coin offerings? We, we've been speaking about three years ago. That would have been the, the topic du jour, and that's gone yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and just you know, returning to the to the to the, the way the markets have evolved over the last few decades, uh, you know, to what extent have we now kind of addressed the problems uh, that uh, were revealed in two thousand and eight? That that also gave those problems also gave you know were, they were cited by the creator of Bitcoin as the reason for introducing it. You know, have we uh, you know have we solved on a, on a large scale some of the the major problems, or have we just uh, introduced you know new ones elsewhere, and, and that we're not yet aware of? I think I think the the things that were done in the wake of the crisis have have made the system a lot safer. I mean, we can't say that it's 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 risk free, but but uh, I think the you know, the right balance had to be found between, for instance, um, increasing the amount of capitalization that uh, that uh, banks are. Are required to hold that. That's a good thing, but you can't push that too far. You don't. You don't want to crush the system. So it's kind of a knife edge problem. But I. I feel that uh, for the, the, the especially the areas that I was focused on, particularly the derivatives markets um, and securitization markets, seem to be vastly improved and safer. Mm. The disclosure standards are much higher in the securities market. You've got um, securitization market. Uh, um, you've got uh, more disclosure. Basically, they incentivize more disclosure by by saying you disclose more, you have lower capital requirements. In the case of OTC derivatives, um, you've got the um, the trade reporting um, in, initiatives that seem to be doing doing a great job, actually, of, uh, of 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 allowing the authorities to see what's happening in those those markets. So that seems to be a seems to be a good thing. I mean, some aspects of the OTC derivative. Um, Re-regulation um, has has kind of stalled. There was great hope for having all OTC um, derivative transactions taking place on organized platforms. Some countries like uh, the US and, and jurisdictions like the uh, like Europe um, have had some success in pushing that agenda. But there's other members of the G20 that were supposed to be involved in that in that push haven't um, haven't followed suit. But on the other hand. Um, if you have the appropriate disclosure standards, I think that's that in itself is a is a big a big improvement over what we had in two thousand eight. But that's not to say that there's things happening that um, aren't seen. But um, <laughs> so I, I always couch all of that in lots of caveats. I it, it's it. I think we're well ahead of where we were, but I don't know if we're how close we are to risk free in that in 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 regulated uh, in the regulated financial sector. Yeah. John, thank you very much for taking the time to chat. It's been a, been a very interesting chat and uh, yeah, look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can do so via Patreon or using cryptocurrency. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website in the right column. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.